real familiar ones. That is familiar by the reading, but I'm not too sure that we're familiar with what they're saying. It's found, of course, in the faith chapter, and I don't think I'm going to minister on faith, but this one particular thing that stood out in my heart is mentioned in the faith chapter, 11th chapter of Hebrews. It's quite an astonishing chapter, quite astounding when you begin to read it of all the things that is happening there, all the things that has happened and all the things that, that points you to. It's certainly mind-boggling when you begin to look at it. But I want to begin reading at the 32nd verse and try to read the rest of the chapter. And what more shall I, and what shall I say more or more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, in fight, turned to flight the enemies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed asunder, they were tempted, were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, Receive not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, they without us should not be made perfect. I'm going to ask Brother Winthel, if he would, to ask the blessing on the reading of God's word and to anoint our hearts and your minds. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God grant. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus touched the lives. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Out of all the glorious things <coughs> that's in this chapter, and it's amazing how God does and then just kind of leaves you out on a limb. But I've learned if he puts me out there, 
It's up to him to get me off. <clears throat> so this morning, that's what he's done. Out of all the glorious things there, are, there is in the chapter, and I'm, I'm amazed every time I read it. In fact, my Bible's just uh, taped up and everything else through this chapter and marked up because I spend a lot of time in it. For one thing, I'm not fully satisfied with uh, my definition of faith. I, I'm not satisfied with that at all, and, and I'm not sure when I'm really going to know the fullness of it. I, I think maybe step by step, by searching uh, ministers of God, can maybe someday ascertain uh, really what faith is and how to put it into practice. But I spend a lot of time in that and look at the wonderful things that was accomplished by that. And uh, out of all those beautiful things, in the 33rd verse, as is a habit, when reading certain things just jump out, and I know by that that this is what God wants to talk about. Now, whether he chooses to just anoint heavenly or chooses just to talk to you or not, this morning I'm sure that this is what God wants. And the 33rd verse says, Who through faith? subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouth of lions. And uh, that two words stopped me cold, obtained promises. Obtained promises. Now, you that were talking and didn't hear me, let me say it again. Obtained promises. Now, it tells a lot of things that was accomplished by faith and a lot of things that happened by these individuals and it says obtained promises and I <clears throat> went to Webster's dictionary and tried to find out what obtain really means it just means to get or to receive in a sense through him but then again searching out the larger meaning in the Greek I came up with a Greek word that simply says tunchano and this means simply to acquire by endeavor or to gain by effort. Now, this, again, is a quite a broadening scope on faith. Faith begins, I think, uh, a little bit, and then uh, it, it broadens its scope, and oftentimes things come with just simple faith of believing inside, and then I think it graduates. And uh, there again, I don't want to talk on faith. But uh, then again, it graduates to a place where I believe there's an endeavor to acquire something. There must be an effort to gain it. And uh, I found out also, and this might uh, put a block, or it should put a block into the, the wise people who talk about receiving the Holy Ghost. All you've got to do is just, it's a gift and you just receive it. It's there. But that same word is used there. They shall receive the Holy Ghost, and that's tunchano. That simply means acquire by endeavor or gain by effort. Amen. So you see, there, there's, there is more to it than just coming in and saying, here, I want it. I think perhaps faith begins, in a sense, small, because God has given us a measure of faith. But I think then, in a sense, it graduates and it enlarges, and it gets to the place to where uh, faith is not really faith to a growing individual until it broadens the scope enough for us to realize that we have acquisition by endeavor. We're, we're trying. We have to try or we gain something by effort. And uh, I have had 
so many people come to me and I myself have been confused. And I'm not sure I have all the answers even this morning, but there's been certain promises that has been given us uh, by the Word of God and also by the voice of God and also perhaps by prophecy that said these things were ours and certain promises. And individuals have come with the same question almost then, how do I obtain the promises that God has given me? How, how do I do like those uh, heroes of faith? How do I obtain promises? And I have to caution, first of all, to be sure that the things you're seeking are really God's promises. What you're wanting in your life, just be sure and be honest with yourself if you never was before. Be honest with yourself at least this once. And be sure that what God is, what you say are promises of God, be sure that they are God's promises to you and not something that you selfishly desire just so you can spend it on some fleshly lust for your own. I've had individuals that uh, have said, God promised me this and God promised me that, and why doesn't he give it to me? Well, I don't know about God's promise to you, but maybe he's waiting for you to grow up enough to know how to use that promise after you receive it. Amen. A lot of times uh, God might give us a new automobile. What do we do with it? Do we use it for God in any way? Maybe he gives us some money. What do we do with it? Do we put it in effect with God? We ask for a new house. What are we going to do with it? Is it going to do God any good, his kingdom any good, or is it just all for your own selfish reasons? I think that's the primary question we have to ask. And, and to give an example, and this really happened in a prayer line some years ago, there was a woman came in, very a nice-looking, very rich woman, dressed in furs and had jewelry all over, and she came in a prayer line and her fingers were, were crooked and uh, you could see very well they were in an arthritic condition. She came up to the individual and said, I want you to pray that God would heal my fingers so I can go to work. And uh, this evangelist, I'm sure, had an insight with God and it looked on the surface like she might want her hands to be able to do something for God. Certainly, she had the abilities to do it. And he pressed her a little farther and he said, uh, what do you want to do? She said, I would like to be able to return to my old job and do it. And she seemed evasive and finally he said, just what was your old job? And the lady put her head down and she said, well, said I was a car dealer in a casino. In a casino. And the evangelist said, you just as well turn around and go back if you're wanting your fingers healed so you can go back into that same place and do the same thing. He said, if you want those healed and you're going to give them to God, then just as sure as you're standing before me, God will give you that healing without any shadow of a doubt. And the lady, like the rich man, turned and walked sadly away. Actually, she wanted her healing, but she wanted it to do something for herself. And we need to second be sure that we're asking in the right way. James challenges us on this, and it's not news to most of us. He says, you have not because you ask not. Now, there's a lot of individuals that never ask for anything hardly at all. They whine and groan and complain about not having and they never ask. And then he goes on to say, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it with your own lust. 
And I think Matthew probably gives us a full demonstration when he tells us to seek you first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness or the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, he's telling us don't seek food and don't seek drink and don't seek clothing and don't seek shelter. Just seek my kingdom and I'll give you all the rest of these things. They're yours. They're your promises. And you can receive them if you do what I tell you to do. Oftentimes we have a lot of sickness and, and uh, I get sick myself. And, and a lot of people get sick. But I, I, we're trying to claim a promise. And I hope that I'm not sounding like this morning. It's hard to uh, speak on this subject without sounding like you're coming down on someone. And I certainly don't mean that because I feel like we're all guilty. But there are certain ways that, and certain laws and guidelines that God tells us has to be fulfilled by us in order to receive the promise of the healing of our bodies. Oftentimes this can run into complications. But the first and foremost one that I find it would be so simple to do, but yet it is not done, and I have advocated that it be done. The Bible says, Is there any sick among you? Let him first call for the elders. Elders. That means more than one of the church. And let them come and pray over you, anointing you with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Amen. Isn't that Bible? And yet some reason or other, I don't know if it's blindness on our part, lack of endeavor on our part, or, or lack of effort for gain, that we simply just want to sit back and lay back in it and put no effort whatsoever and, and send here again. And, and, and I'm getting convicted. And will you help me this morning? I'm getting convicted by praying over a prayer cloth and giving it to somebody to lay on their body, although I know that this is Bible, when they have failed to do the first thing, which is call for the elders of the church, and let them come and anoint them with oil in the name of Jesus. I feel like some way I'm a party to going around God. Amen? If there's a promise of healing this morning, there's ways to attain the promise, and most of the time it has to be attained by effort. There has to be something on our part to reach out and demand and say, God, this is your demands, and we attain that by an effort. This is a promise of God. And God will not withhold any good thing from us. I certainly, I can't believe that it is God's will for us to be stricken with sickness in this world, I don't say that we're not going to get sick. And I don't believe it's God's intention for us to get sick and stay home and never ask anybody to come and pray for us. Yeah, well, I know what a lot of people are saying now. Well, you're supposed to, not according to the Bible, until there is a call made for the elders of the church. That's Bible. Now, we're not interested in man's conviction and what he has placed forth. We're interested in God. And I feel like this, that if you are close enough and desirous enough and sick enough and have faith enough, when you call, I believe something will be done. And otherwise, I don't believe it will be. Amen, Brother Hoskoff. Now, wrought promises, obtained promises by effort. 
putting forth an effort. And of course there's lessons all throughout this Bible and there's men that could demonstrate. Now God speaks by examples. The words recorded here of the deeds of great men are placed in here not for us necessarily to know they were great men and not placed there for us necessarily to know what they did. And they were placed there for our example how we might read after them and then make application of their successes in our lives and also their defeats. We can go around them, see. That's what the Bible doesn't just record successes. The Bible records failures of great men. And it does that for a reason. So we can see their failures, read what happens, what causes their failures, and avoid what happened to them. And successes follow their way of success. And improve on it if you can. I challenge us in this day and hour to improve upon the success of those great men that seem to uh, bring about through effort. And you'll see when you study it that faith just didn't fall on them. And it just wasn't something that just merely in their heart they say, I believe, but they had to finally, when it began to materialize and come to its fullness, it was something that we had to get by effort, gain by effort and gain by putting forth something on our own and not depending upon God's love and mercy. Who should we first consider as somebody that really obtained promises uh, in the Bible through this one simple word? I don't think we should go much farther than the father of faith who had to obtain his promise. Abraham had many. But we want to deal upon the one promise that was made to him, found in about Romans, the fourth chapter. And that, that promise was that he and his seed would be heirs of the world. Now when that was first made, that promise was unconditional. In other words, Abraham had to obtain it. He had to, by effort, make that thing become a reality in his life. God didn't just put him there and make him all ready and say, Abraham, here it is. First, it was unconditional. And because of Abraham's faith in obtaining the promise that God said, we are now children of Abraham unconditionally. You cannot take that distinction of race away from us because of the endeavors of Abraham. In other words, you sit here in this glorious country with all the food in the world that you need, and with a roof over your head, and the greatest, richest country in the world, you sit here because Abraham obtained the promise by effort. That ought to challenge our thinking just a little bit. Let's consider him. And I'm just going to give a brief resume. What was it about Abraham that caused him to be able to wrap his fingers around that promise of a being an heir continually. Now, first thing we realize or try to say is Abraham uh, was some type of a superhuman being. He was called of God. Well, aren't you? I doubt seriously that Abraham had any more of a calling on his life than you and I have. He had a specific thing he had to do, and it was a calling of God. You and I have a specific thing, and it's still a calling of God. 
So actually he was a man of like passion, like Elijah was, even as we. And yet, there was something inside of this man. What was it? What was it? In other words, he had to have the utmost faith in God. Now let me stand here and say that I don't believe that faith in God in his fullness is an easy thing to come by. And I don't think it was easy for Abraham either. I think there was human nature inside here that tried to deny that God was who he said he was and could bring about what he said he would in its completeness. You'll find this in churches all over that we grasp hold of a little portion of God. But some things that God says just seems to be way out in left field. And the first thing you know, we're not grasping them. In other words, we're holding on to an easy part of God. Our faith isn't enlarged enough to put forth an effort enough to claim everything that God said. Abraham believed in God. And to believe in God, you have to believe in everything that he says in here and everything that he speaks under the anointing of God. He is God. And he had to believe that he is the one that quickened the dead. And call things which was not as though they were. Now we get bogged down in our thinking on this. Because many times our promises made to us for our future. And as far as God is concerned, He speaks to us as if they're already here. Because in God's mind they are. And in our heart, in our mind, they are promises yet to materialize. And we've got to believe God enough to hold on to Him enough to say, God, I'm going to believe you until it's there. Abraham had to do it. He had to believe that God could quicken the dead. And he could call things which were not as if they were. And it goes on in verse 18 to say, Who against hope believed in hope. In other words, all that's saying... As when all the hope, as far as this human eye and ears and understanding could go, and it was gone, and all that was gone, he still believed God. Because, and it's real simple, but yet it's hard. Why did Abraham believe God? On what basis? Could he stand against, who, against hope as he stood there and saw him almost dead as far as bearing a child and Sarah's womb was dead? And what did Abraham have to hold to? What was it sustained him? What did he fight to have? He had just one little thing because God said it. Now I think here's where we mark down, isn't it? It's because we're looking for signs to prove to us that God meant what He said. We're looking for something inside. Though God says it, there's a human aspect of us that cries out for a more definite design or a more definite thing to let us base our claims upon. And God would like for His children to get to the place that when He speaks, they will believe. And that they can say, let God be true and every man a liar. That's even ourselves. That's even us. 
When God says something in the supernatural and flesh begins to come against it, let's let God be true and let this flesh be a lie. Amen. That's what moved Abraham into his being. He did not even consider. He didn't give it the first thought that his own body was past and was dead in a sense. He didn't give it one thought about the deadness of Sarah's womb. Because through perseverance and through effort, Abraham had obtained, laid hold on, and desired the promise that God said was his, and persevered until he came to the desire of it and looked upon it. Oftentimes, we stand on the threshold of something great. After we battle all these other things, and we're left sometimes with just a word that God has said. But oftentimes, when we stand upon that, we begin to consider. Most of the time, we try to consider the price that we're going to have to pay. God, what, when you give this to me, what is required of me then? And I've talked to several young people, young ministers, and you know their fear, and you know the thing that keeps them really from moving into the greatness of God to be able to say, God, if you said it, and it is my ministry, and you give it to me, then I'm going to accept it and do it. It's the fear that God will take them to a foreign land. They are considering, and they're not by themselves. Of times when God places something before us, as he did our church not too long ago, and set before us great doors to be opened, and we stood on the threshold of that until many of us began to consider what it was going to cost us and whether God would be able to bring it about or not. And because of that reason, God simply said, I can't do with you what I want to do because you haven't obtained, gained by effort, the promise. It was laid there, and you make no mistake about it. God, if, if you just listen to the prophecy, or you just read it, God made us some specific, grand and glorious promises. And we stood considering and that's one thing Abraham did not do. He did not consider the weakness of his body, neither the barrenness of Sarah's womb. The only thing he considered was the ability of his God to do what he said he would do. Obtained promises. And the Bible says, verse 20, that he refused to even think upon the impossibilities. The Bible says the promise didn't stagger him at all. And this hit me strong. Because some of the promises God gave me, has given me, and has given us as a church are simply mind-boggling and staggering to realize and face Christ, you can't do it. It'll never happen. And inside God says, I want it to happen. It can happen if you will obtain by effort. But Abraham wasn't even staggered by it. He walked through life fighting the same battle. I think every day 
like you and I, but some way, somehow, because he could not, would not look at human flesh, at frailty or the brevity of man, had always had his eye, I think this is probably the answer, always had his eye upon the supreme God. And what he was not able to perform, Abraham himself, or everything about him, he knew that he was guided and led and promised by a God that threw the universe into being. Against all odds, everything to the contrary, he remained strong in faith. Now how do you do that? How? When everything else to the contrary dictates and says no, and you look at it and certainly, and everybody you meet almost says no, how do you against those odds remain strong in faith? And of course, God being the God that He is, simply answers the question by saying, by giving glory to God. That's how you stay strong in faith. You wake up some morning, everything looks wrong. What God said was yours and you felt like it was that day and the presence of God was all over you and the goodness of God was there and you wasn't bothered by your nerves or by the despair or the anxiety that's in the world and then you wake up one morning and all hell's on you. And almost everything God says seems to change. The powers of hell has blinded our eyes. We can't see any farther. And how against those odds do you still hold your faith and obtain the promises? It's by lifting your hands in the midst of darkness and giving honor and glory to your God whom you serve and not to the eyes of the hand of man. Not easy. I didn't say it was. I don't think Abraham coasted through it at all. I think it was an everyday battle. Appeal, and you see his failures. And you see God's mercy lifting him up. And you see God's love until finally Abraham makes unconditional. As I said a while ago, that was a conditional promise. Had Abraham, I meant to say conditional if I said unconditional. That was a conditional promise. Had God first made Abraham, and then it became unconditional after Abraham had obtained it. That's why we stand here, because of that. And he remained, first of all, or maybe he remained fully persuaded, fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. You'll find out in the 21st verse. Now, what that means, even when everything was going wrong, Abraham was persuaded God was able to do it even when he himself failed. Amen. That there was inside Abraham an effort, a desire to gain, and he never desired to stay down. Always when he fell, he wanted to get up and God honors this. That God's promises doesn't stop when we fall. And our faith shouldn't stop when we fall either. In fact, it should increase as we realize that only God can get us up out of this. Only God can do this. We can't do it. If we could have helped it, we wouldn't have been there. But here we are, wanting so desperately to do God's will, trying our best, 
And there's a snare there we didn't see. And here we are laying down there. Is our faith void? Should we forget it? No, we should become fully persuaded as Abraham at what God said he was able to perform. Because after all, if he promised the world that through the church that salvation would be preached, he promised that to the world while we were yet sinners because God knew exactly what he could make out of us. And he hasn't stopped yet. Most important of all, as we try to bring this to a close, I think perhaps we need to look at this real close. I won't elaborate on it because there's still some hidden things in there that I would like to know about. Abraham, after going through all of this in Romans, Abraham was listed in Hebrews 11, verse 39, with these type of people. And these all, and that's talking about from the beginning of the chapter, having obtained, same word, gained by effort a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now Abraham saw the beginning of his promise. He saw certain things, even after his his, uh, and uh, Sarah's failure with uh, the handmaiden Hagar. You know, look at that sometime. That's a blunder. That's a failure. And Abraham could have stopped it. He could have said, I messed it up. I've dabbled around in it and I've completely messed it up. I'll never be able to do it now. But something inside of him moved upon him. And he began to believe what God had said. And Abraham saw the beginning and saw a lot of the increase of what God said was his. And yet he saw the city that had foundation whose builder and maker was God and always seeking the final climax to the promise of God and went to the grave and had never received the fullness of it. How did Abraham go to the grave? Embracing God's Word. Realizing that this thing had never depended on Him. Amen. That it had always been God. And finally, after living his life of a hundred and some odd years, and always looking, journeying, striving, wanting to see, desiring to see some of the things we see today. His eyes was closed to them. And the final fullness of his heirs made uh, heirs of the whole world. Abraham never saw, hasn't saw yet. But he died recognizing that it was in the bosom of God. And on that great day of the resurrection, he himself could see with his eyes. And Job said, Whom mine eyes shall see and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So oft times, the things that we desire, the things that we want, comes by graduation and a moving into the fullness of what we dimly, vaguely understand as faith. 
have finally graduated to the place where there has to be an effort upon your part and mine even to hold our sanity and our belief in God in all of his fullness. And Abraham was fully satisfied that there was a lot of things begin in his life that he did not see the end of it until some span of several years. Now then, there's been a lot of things promised to a lot of us that probably we'll never see the finish of. I think perhaps this is a reason in closing that the devil is moving upon this generation. And the reason he's moving like he is is because a man saddled with a responsibility and, uh, and saddled, so to speak, with the responsibility of bringing and issuing the fullness of the meaning of faith into the heart of individuals. A man like that has to finally and fully realize that it may not all happen in his lifetime. In other words, one of the greatest assets that a Christian can have and must have, Revelation streams it out, is patience. This generation hardly knows the word. And some of us, one time that knew it, are beginning to lose it. And we're crying almost the same hue and cry of this generation. I want it now. I want it now. I refuse to go through the valleys with you, God. I only want the mountains. I refuse to fight for anything. I want you to give it to me. I refuse to stay on my knees for anything and intercede for anybody. Let them take care of themselves. In other words, I refuse to wait. If I don't get it now and you don't give it to me, I'll see if these hands can't get it. And you would be surprised at the corpses, and I'll say that, corpses, walking dead, out in the world that was not satisfied to wait for God to give it to them, reached out with their own hands and tried to get it. Oh, some of them got money. Some of them got a claim. Some of them could get things they couldn't get before. They bought it with God's money. But someplace inside here is unhappiness, fretfulness, and despair. And if it isn't there now, continue to disregard God, and it will be. You see, God's a patient God, a loving God, a kind God. And the scriptures even said it's not, he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want these people that spit on him and hit him. That crucified him. He didn't want them to perish. And he doesn't want anybody to perish. But the long-suffering of God soon is over. But as Christians, and I wish some way I could get to it because I don't like to see Christians suffer. I realize that we're going to get perhaps some of the same diseases. I don't believe a Christian has to labor under them over and over. Because I think there's promises in here. And whether we can attain them now, my Lord, don't let that drive you in despair. Keep your faith in God. 
as we stand, obtain promises. Now, is there a promise this morning that God has made you? I know there's one, eternal life. But now you have to obtain that too, and that's the same word. <laughs> you have to gain that by effort. Don't just coast along, slide along, without any effort of your own, and enter in, sail into the kingdom, enjoy the blessings, that don't happen. You obtain eternal life by effort. And if there's promises outside that this morning that God has given you, and you've just sat back and said, God, when you're ready to give them to me, I've heard this said so much, when you're ready to give them to me, you'll give them to me. God's ready now to start them. Right now. But there has to be an effort. An effort. On your part. How about it? And then some of the things that's not yours. I speak especially to young people. Because I can't help it. I believe God's spoken to the hearts of some of the younger. Put missions on their minds. And they're not answering. Because you're considering everything else but God. Where you would go, what God would do with you, who knows. But one thing I do know, if you're in his hands and following his will, he'll handle it. He'll take care of it. Why don't we join this morning in prayer by coming forth?